The Afterthought Media feed. On this episode, I'm going to share two stories with you. One is called uh, Home, and it's about the house that I'm living in. But first, let me tell you a story about a shitty relationship I had in a story I called Cold Turkey. It was originally published on Tuesday, uh, I'm sorry, November 6th, 2012. Here you go. Dancing, dancing on the people. I got purple hat, cheetah print. Dancing on the people. Rolled up at the after joint. Dancing, dancing on the people. People dancing on the people. I guess it's similar to what goes through the mind of a person that smokes cigarettes. I guess not just poisoning yourself, but spending large amounts of money to do it. My poison was a guy named Richard. That isn't his real name, although he is a real dick. I've changed his name because I think that I've told stories about him on this podcast before, and I don't want you to connect those stories with the one I'm going to tell you today and start to feel sympathy for this guy. Like nicotine and tar and cancer, Richard doesn't deserve your sympathy. I started dating Richard when I was a kid, one of my first long-term things. And like a puppy that trips over his own feet, I stumbled through the relationship sometimes falling on my face as I learned how my four legs worked. Richard and I connected on two things, and they're very important things in my opinion. We had good sex, and we both loved to eat. And good sex and good food can help two contrasting individuals maintain a relationship for quite a while. We ate and fucked our immature little hearts out for a good year before it became pretty apparent that this thing wasn't going to work. But after an afternoon blowjob and Mexican food, sitting in a Mexican restaurant on the beach, we looked at each other and both silently wondered, what's next? And maybe that's when the end started. Or maybe the end started at 2 a.m. on a Friday night. I was supposed to go out with friends, but had some sort of stomach bug and ended up canceling. So I called up Richard and told him that I wasn't feeling well. Can I come over? I asked. Well, I don't want to get sick, he said coldly. I was silent. Okay, come over. When I'm sick, oftentimes, I just want to be with someone. I want to be the little spoon. I'm actually a horrible person to be around when I'm sick. I often moan in pain. I'm mean and I'm selfish. That night we fell asleep in Richard's living room, and at about 2 a.m., there was a knock on his door. I sat up and I looked at Richard. Who could that be? He slightly nudged me and whispered, Probably someone selling something, just ignore it. Um, at 2 a.m.? I laid back down and, with my eyes wide open, looked up at the popcorn apartment ceiling. The knock at the door happened again. I reached over and put my hand on top of Richard's chest, and I felt his heart pounding. That's when I knew that he was cheating on me. That's when our relationship humpty dumpty and was never put back together again. But now- 
After that late night knocking, I never spoke to Richard again. I stopped taking his calls. I never kissed him again. I didn't continue seeing him a few nights a week, is what I would like to say. But if that were really the case, this wouldn't be much of a story, would it? I didn't quickly make changes to my life to fix this problem. Now, I've been told a couple of times that I'm a good storyteller. I could never tell stories the way you do, people gush. But look at this story I'm telling you right now and be thankful. Maybe you can never tell stories like this because you aren't as foolish as I am. Maybe you're the lucky one. Maybe I'm good at telling stories because I'm equally good at making bad choices that lead me to the place of making stories. I dated Richard for something like one or two years after that late night knock on his door. And it wasn't like someone knocked on his door once and that was that. Richard did his best to show me his true character. Maybe he was lazy, maybe he was stupid, or maybe he just wanted to be discovered. He left his computer open so I could read emails. He disappeared and wouldn't answer his phone for entire nights. And I would accept his clearly fake excuses. That email, well, I was just meeting up with someone I met online. I I knew you wouldn't understand. Or, I just fell asleep early. And then, in April of the last year we were together, Richard started getting sick. Really sick. Hard to walk. Thinking about going to the emergency room. Sick. So we went. I sat in the waiting room, good boyfriend, waiting for him to come out and tell me we needed to go to the pharmacy or something. I sat in the teal and peach chairs of the ER for an hour, watching a fuzzy version of a telenovela. And then Richard finally emerged with papers in his hand. Let's go, he said. Whoa, what's up? I'll tell you in the car. Richard had somehow contracted hepatitis B. He told me that there were many ways in which he could have contracted it. He could have eaten food from some place where the food handler had it. Maybe someone at his friend's house had it. There was one possible scenario, however, that he was leaving off the list. And this omission said more than anything he could have said. One of the major risk factors for contracting Hep B I learned later, after some internet sleuthing and one telephone call to Dr. Drew and Adam Carolla on Loveline, was multiple sex partners. So I quit. Cold turkey. I hate to do this when you're down, I said, but I can't keep putting myself at risk, Richard. When most people give up a habit like this, it's normal to have intense cravings. And trust me, I did. I wanted to go back to him. And from time to time, I get a whiff. 
I talk to Richard via email, or I see a new photo uploaded to Facebook, and I think about it. One more drag, for old time's sake. And then I'm reminded of the shortness of breath, the smelly clothes, and I remember how much better I feel now that I've kicked this addiction. Up next, I have a story that I called Home. It was originally published on Tuesday, November 13th of 2012. And this was published just a couple of weeks after I moved into uh, 730 Alcatraz, which is a house I lived in for uh, the first you know seven years of living in the Bay Area and just moved out recently. So um, weird how this kind of works out, but I'm recording this rerun episode in 730 Alcatraz which is a house I talk about Uh, but by the time you hear it I will not be living here any longer I'm actually in the process of kind of packing up now so uh, here it is uh, as I said originally published in 2012 and it's called Home Regular listeners of the show know that I've recently relocated to the San Francisco Bay Area. Things here are good. Really good. My job is great. The weather is phenomenal. The people are awesome. I have only one problem, and it's kind of a big one. I don't have a home. The clouds were dust, raining on I'm not homeless in that I'm sleeping on the streets. My living situation is just very temporary. It's very difficult to relax properly when something as big as housing is up in the air. I'd like to sleep in. I'd like to sit all day and watch a Real Housewives of Somewhere marathon. And I'd like to drive down a street and not think about the rent price and how nice it would be to live there. My friend Heather sent me an email with a Craigslist advertisement for a great place. Since Heather is also looking for a place, I was kind of confused as to why she was helping me. Me. That place looks amazing. Heather. I know. Me. So spacious. Heather. I know. Me. And in a good neighborhood. Heather. I know. Me. And affordable. Heather, I know. Me, so why aren't you emailing? Heather, Mike, did you read the ad? It says gay male preferred. Me, oh. So I emailed the owner of the house. The gist of my email was this. Dear owner of the house that I really want to live in, 
I really want to live in your house. Love, Mike. P.S. If you're smart, you'll be doing some cyber stalking. I'll make it easy for you. Here's my Facebook link. And it worked. I got a phone call a few hours after sending the email, around lunchtime. The homeowner asked me to come over the following night at 7 p.m. It was hard to sit still that day. I was so excited about going to see this new place. That night after work, I ended up at this local gay bar that I've been frequenting. Frequenting often enough to get a few free shots of liquor when I sit at the bar and chat up one of the bartenders. By 11, I was already feeling a bit tipsy and I walked slowly to the bathroom. The bathroom at this place is pretty cramped, with two urinals and one toilet. The toilet was occupied and at one of the urinals stood a guy with cute hair wearing a blue and white plaid flannel shirt, jeans, and Converse sneakers. I looked down and slowly processed this. I was wearing a blue and white plaid flannel shirt, jeans, Converse sneakers, and if you'll allow me to toot my own horn, my hair was doing some pretty good things that night. I walked up to the urinal next to him and started my task. At this time, all three places to go were occupied, and a man walked into the bathroom behind us. I heard him chuckle a little and he said, Hey, you guys are twins. I looked over my shoulder at him. Remember that I'm a little bit drunk at this time. I looked over my shoulder at him and I said, Yeah, but my dick's bigger. Yeah, but my dick is bigger. Still looking over my shoulder, the guy that just walked into the bathroom said, Hey, is your name Mike? I focused on his face. Even though I had put a few away that evening, I was certain that I had never met this guy before. You responded to my ad on Craigslist. I own the house you want to live in. So, the first words I said to the guy that I really want to impress were, Yeah, but my dick is bigger. I guess I'll make this short story even shorter, um, cutting out some details. I went to go see the place. I loved it. And I'm moving in, like right now, surrounded by boxes and happiness. Luckily, it turns out that this guy actually has a good sense of humor. Just today, I was filling out all of the required rental paperwork. And he looked down and he saw the tattoo on my forearm. What does your tattoo say? He asked me. Oh, it's a Joan Didion quote that I really like, I said, hoping that that would be the end of it. My tattoo, just so you know, says, I tell what some will call lies, which explains, as you guys know because you're listening to this, um, a type of storytelling. It explains how I store memories. It's something from a book of essays that has had a large impact on me, on my writing, etc., etc. It's personal, but it's hard to tell someone especially the person you're going to be renting from, that this quote doesn't mean that you're a big fat liar. I love Joan Didion, he said. 
What does it say? Crap. Well, it says I tell what some would call lies. I said, and then I stumbled over the words that I said next, stuttering and trying to explain myself.、Uh, but it's about storytelling. It's 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 not about my ability to tell the truth. He laughed and he said that he understood. The guy who lived here before you, though, he told me. Now he was a liar. Yeah, I said, but my dick's probably bigger. That's it. All done. Two stories told, and believe it or not, I have two more to share with you. If you come back to the next episode, the stories I want to share with you next time.、Uh, one of them is called Night Swimming, and it's about、uh, some kids I used to play with in my teens, early early teens. And then another story, which is called Four Stories from a Cemetery, and it's not three or five, but actually four stories, and they all take place in. A cemetery. So come back and join me for that. Thanks for listening, guys. See you then. Bye bye. I like to eat pizza.